And welcome to the studios here at Triple H 100.1 FM. You are listening live to Small Biz Matters here in Triple H and across the community radio network. My name is Alexi Boyd. Of course, joining me for another week of fantastic small business education, advocacy and support. This week, uh, we've got a very interesting program because it's quite topical. Um, We're going to be covering a lot of detail and we're going to be talking to one of the organisations that is quite predominant in the lives of small business. It's quite important and it can also be a little bit annoying. But today we're going to talk about the support mechanisms in place that the ATO provides. The small business community at the moment, it, it can easily be said that it's in turmoil in recent months between extreme weather events across the country, bushfire devastation, the fallout for surrounding communities and now the coronavirus and that impact on imports and exports, there will be few businesses and the humans behind them who are unaffected. Well, help is at hand. Whilst other agencies can sometimes be a little bit slow to act and have a real impact, the ATO, thanks to its surprisingly high level of access to data and real-time information on us as businesses, can actually act quite quickly. They've got extended debt deadlines, they've got payment plans in place and extended support. Uh, The administrators of our tax system, the ATO, are doing their best to keep us in business. Today we're going to be talking to Andrew Watson, who is the Deputy Commissioner at the ATO, about the updates to the supports that are currently in place given what's going on for small businesses around the country and recent improvements to the way that we engage with them. Uh, We're going to be talking to Andrew today and he joins us on the line. Thanks so much for joining us today, Andrew. Uh, thanks for having me, Alexi. So um, thank you very much for phoning in firstly because it's a, it's a tricky thing. You've got a lot on your plate at the moment with the bushfire crisis. Um, I know that there's a lot of ATO people out there scrambling to support best businesses as much as they can. So you're calling in from Canberra, is that right? I'm actually in Adelaide, so um, I'm probably, yeah, more personal knowledge about the bushfire crisis in the Adelaide Hills and uh, Kangaroo Island, given the the more immediate impacts in my local community. But um, definitely from an ATO point of view, we're looking at uh, how we, well, how we have supported and how we can continue to support businesses um, across uh, across the country who have been impacted. Um, through this, so happy to have a chance to talk about that with you and hopefully share some information for your listeners. Andrew, can you tell me a little bit about how that mechanism works? Because um, some of you out there, small businesses, might not be aware that you've already been flagged simply because of your postcode that you need that additional support, that additional time to pay, and the ATO need knows that they that you need support simply because of your postcode. But how does it work on the ground? What what happens with um, the ATO team? Do they literally go out to those areas and start talking to small businesses? What's the practicalities of that sort of support? So I guess, Alexi, the, the first step was being um, as um, local government areas, council areas have been identified as uh, impacted um, as part of the, the whole of government response. What we have done is for businesses in those postcodes, if they have um either a business address or a postal address um, within one of those postcodes. We've granted automatic deferrals for activity statements and for income tax returns up to the 28th of May this year. So that was part of um, the initial response and and part of the approach um, from the Commissioner down has been we understand with the bushfires, tax is not the first thing that jumps to people's minds. We, we understand that that's the case for small businesses generally. So we, we've automatically applied that on our systems um, to over 700,000 small businesses that are within the 55 local government areas that have been um, uh, have been declared uh, by the government as eligible for um, disaster payment. So those businesses, that's been automatically applied. So if they need it, they've got um, up until 28th of May for any of the obligations currently falling due. So, for example, um, later this week, 28th of February, uh, the December quarterly activity statement um, is normally due. It's a fairly big um, big event on the calendar for small business. But for those 700,000 small businesses uh, in those impacted local government areas, uh, if they need it, we've automatically applied um, applied a deferral 
through to the 28th of May for lodgement and payment of anything on that activity statement. Okay, so the businesses may not necessarily know this, but it's actually just an automatic thing. So what I would suggest to you businesses out there who are lodging um, BASs or returns or statements through a, a tax off- uh, sorry, a tax agent or a BAS agent or a bookkeeper is make sure you keep an eye on those dates because I know that some people have been surprised um, because they've received those extensions and not actually been fire affected. But I guess it's about... Are those postcodes there to support the entire community, not just necessarily those with a direct effect? Yeah, they are, Alexi. It's the whole local government area. So so where there has been an impact within that local government area, um, the, the deferral has been applied more broadly. So we, we, we've taken the approach of applying applying that more, more broadly, knowing that there is a bit of a, you know, there's a ripple impact um, across those communities. It, it's not always just those... Um, those businesses or, or, or farmers that were directly impacted by the fire. What I'd also um, I'd like to say is as well, we also understand there are businesses that fall outside of those postcode areas. Might be based elsewhere. The transport industry is one that, that's come up um, several times who a lot of their business um, comes from within those fire-affected areas, but they might be based, say, in a metropolitan area and do a lot of um, delivery work into those areas or bring a lot of the, the, the products that are produced by small businesses um, back into the cities. Some of those businesses that are impacted, um, but not on those postcode, won't have received the automatic deferrals, but if they call us on our emergency hotline, one eight hundred eight zero six two one eight. Um, we have people trained on that line who can work through them, their circumstances, and similarly be able to, to look at their situation, apply deferrals as needed, where they've been impacted by, by the bushfires as well, but don't fall within that automatic area. And could I ask, when those people make those calls, is that something that the person on the end of the phone has the ability and the authority to make a decision on? Obviously, this has come from the top down uh, and you guys are enabling those people on the end of the phone, I guess, to allow extensions. But what if the person on the end of the phone um, isn't giving you the satisfactory result, result? Is there still an opportunity to sort of push back and say, um, I'm not happy with that, I would like to speak to someone else? Or like, how does it work on a practical way? Absolutely. There, there, there always is that. What we do have on the, the staff that are on that phone line, um, it's, a, it's a small group who are do, dedicated to doing this. So they're, they're across, uh, well, it's really across what we're doing um, overall across the ATO. They're aware of the impacts of, of the fires. And what, what I can tell um, your listeners is they will get an empathetic hearing um, where they need it for, for, uh, from staff on that, that line. Um, as always, um, yep, if they're not not satisfied, can always ask to, to, to speak to a manager, um, speak to someone else if they don't think they are getting that, that hearing. But we are finding that those, we're getting some, some good feedback from businesses who are calling that, that they are feeling, feeling heard, um, feeling understood, and we're able to work through something that will, um, particularly our goal is wanting to help viable businesses get through this. Um, come out the other side and continue to, to contribute to, to the vibrant small business community Australia's got. And don't forget as well, of course, about your accountants, your tax agents, your BAS agents who are there to support you as well in this role. Um, they can, of course, um, call the ATO on your behalf or um, I guess, uh, ar- not argue, but to discuss this with them if you need be, if, you, if, you're, if you're too busy with the current conditions. Could I ask you as well, Andrew, I mean, a fire is an immediate danger, it's an immediate threat, but the ongoing crisis of something like, you know, the longest drought Australia's ever seen, how is three months really going to make an impact? Have you got long-term strategies in place to, to discuss supporting those communities who are affected by long-term natural disasters? Um, we do, and we have um, on an ongoing basis uh, as part of particularly working with state governments have been involved uh, in visiting communities and working with communities impacted by uh, by drought, um, it's a it's a trickier situation when you talk natural disasters because drought is such a, a long drawn out um, uh, event. One of the things that we we are uh, doing um, in Queensland with the uh, Rural Financial Counselling Service, I think I've got the name right there, um, is working in training up some of 
their counsellors um, with our, our cash flow coaching kit that we have developed so that they can help um, help support people and better understand how to manage their cash flow, how to, to work through the situation um, of, of the drought um, and actually understand where, where their business is at from the point of view of actual, of being able to meet their bills, etc., um, as well as those counsellors linking in with what other assistance might be available. So it, it's a it, it's a difficult situation with the drought, and we also know it's going to be a difficult situation ongoing with bushfires, particularly in smaller communities uh, around those businesses which might have been struggling before these events. You, you know, certainly these events aren't going to make things any easier. So. Um, we are here to, to work with, with, as you said, accountants, bookkeepers uh, and others in the community to, to work with small businesses really to make informed decisions around uh, around where they're at, um, ideally helping them to, to trade their way through, through the difficulties. Um, but unfortunately, we also do see at times it, it's people making at times hard decisions, but when, when it's time to, to, to wind up their business, or the, the business has hit, hit a point where it won't won't continue on. So that that's some of the more difficult difficult conversations that that us and others that we work with at times um, are involved in. Um, it's about supporting supporting where we can, where there's a, a viable business that's having a hard time. Um, how we can work through that, and that's where overall we do encourage that that people talk to your tax or bass agent, get them to talk to us or talk to us directly. We can't help if we don't know what's going on. So if you do call us and talk to us, um, we we do aim to give you an empathetic hearing and within what we can do under the laws, see how we can, can structure things, help things, if you need a bit of time and a bit of assistance to work your way through through debt or, or lodgement issues. I would also say with that, if you are speaking to anyone at the ATO, like any large organisation, make sure that you get a reference number um, after you've done the call and make some notes yourself about what was said, just so you've got something in your own mind about what you can do moving forward. Now, Andrew, as one of the assistant commissioners at the ATO, is that something that you pride yourself on, this collaborative approach, working with advisors, local government, state government, federal government in in the sense of being um, an educator of the small business community strategically has that been one of the 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 foundations um, of what the ATO does moving forward well it's it's interesting Alexi and without without um, getting too much into technical detail but last year we released um, in for small business income tax um, a tax gap Um, what that tax gap, how we estimated that was based on over the last few years, we've done six to 700 random audits a year across small businesses across Australia. Now, that's helped us identify what theoretically should have been paid in tax but hasn't. The part that's been, for me, almost more interesting is we've identified that nearly 90% of small business income tax is correctly reported and paid on time. In looking at those businesses that are able to do that, we found three really common characteristics. It's been, firstly, they've been digitally enabled. So they, they've had accounting software, point of sale software, but they use it, they know how to use it and they use it well. The second aspect has been they, they get good advice. So they, they have a tax agent, they have a bookkeeper, they're probably a member of a chamber of commerce or some sort of industry association. So more than, than probably just help to fill out forms, they have people who are, are helping them advise around um, their overall business to help that stay, stay healthy. And the third thing we've seen has been understanding and staying on top of where they are from a cash flow point of view. So from our point of view, what we're looking to do is, is how can we encourage those, those three things? That's not all about tax. If those three, three, three things happen, creates a healthy small business and we see tax takes care of itself out of that. So it's a really key thing for us. Is it's not just around what we do directly with the ATO, but as you said, who are the partners? Um, tax agents, BAS agents are clear partners with us um, in this, but it's also working a lot with industry associations, people like Peter Strong, Council of Small Business of Australia, um, lots of those representatives around how we can we can work with them. And 
we do it, it might surprise surprise some of your listeners but we do have a bit of self-awareness and realize at times people don't always like talking to the ato so with things as i said before like around cash flow we're looking we're looking to develop a kit that others will talk to small businesses about we're looking to train up people on how to use this cash flow coaching kit so that the trusted advisors for small business can work with them help their small business and as i said so then the tax takes care of itself it's really great to see that collaborative approach because I think um, we are moving more into a localised space where those genuine face-to-face connections are really what help us in business. There's a lot of digital material out there, particularly around those pinch points where businesses claim that or say that they're having difficulty like digital advertising, social media. There's a lot of support out there. The difficulty is that you it's inaccessible or you don't have the time or the, the, the presence of mind or even just the hours in the day to be able to educate yourself. And quite often, surrounding yourself with other like-minded people and getting that support is is key is it really helps you absorb information i mean you know 80 percent of people are kinesthetic learners because they learn from being surrounded by hearing and feeling and touching and and being immersed in that education rather than just listening to it audially for instance um andrew we're just going to take a quick break here on small biz matters listen to a couple of community service announcements and when we come back um, i'd like to get an update from you about single touch payroll which was a pretty major change for the small business community a few months ago as well as uh, what's happening what's coming up which is in fact something called e-invoicing and if you could introduce our listeners to what that means for them and their business and also um, the big one that's coming up that everyone really needs to know about, which is the software updates and the way that we communicate online with the ATO. Andrew, we'll be back in a few minutes on Triple H 100.1 FM uh, after these community service announcements. So right now today we're talking to the ATO and we're getting an update on all the different things that are going on in their world and small business communities. Uh, largely before the break, we were speaking about the impact uh, that the relationship with us and the ATO and things like the bushfires have with you know major disasters and how the ATO has support mechanisms in place to support small business and how those actually work on a practical level. Remember, if you've missed any of today's program, you can catch up via our website or iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, in a few days' time, all of these shows are live. We've got Andrew Watson here, from who's the Assistant Commissioner with the ATO, and we're going to talk about now the single-touch payroll situation. Now, single-touch payroll has been um, quite a large change for all business-employing staff, and it's been going on for a few months now. Andrew, can you take us through what the purpose, just remind the listeners, what was the purpose of bringing in single-touch payroll, um, and why have we had this additional compliance burden added to us as small businesses. What's the purpose behind it? So the purpose of single touch payroll is to link the the reporting of um, wage information, tax withheld uh, and superannuation payments, linking that to payroll events. So the concept is that when you you run your your payroll, um, pay your staff um, and work out their, their, their super obligations, that that's when you report that through to, to the ATO. And so then at the, the end of the year, then needing to then sort of submit reports, submit payment summaries, etc. Um, that information has been progressively reported, you know, throughout the year to the ATO. And then the ATO can make that information available to your employees directly through their, their tax returns. Um, it also in, allows employees to see in real time, linked in with reporting we get from superannuation funds now, um, how much the employers have, have um, taken or paid in superannuation um, and what their balances are in their, their super, in their superannuation accounts themselves. Can I just stop so, you there and I just want to ask you, the, the reason for that was because there was a massive and there continues to be a massive shortfall in the amount of superannuation which is in, in entitlement, not actually something that the business owns, it's actually not yours, it's your employee's um, uh, money. There's been a shortfall in the billions of dollars um, paid into super funds and they've generally, you know, there's been a lot of lateness with those payments as well, which has a cumulative effect on people's retirement savings. Is that the problem that you've been trying to solve with single touch payroll? It's one of the problems. So um, the the other bit is moving towards the the real-time reporting 
has been with having reporting directly out of out of software. It is where the ATO has been working um, with software developers uh, for a while to actually start to reduce the number of, of forms that people need to complete. So um, there is post the implementation that there's a compliance saving from what needs to be be completed. That superannuation is almost the, the time lag between when we were aware of um, what superannuation was being reported, linking to whether it had been paid or not, um, was always a, a bit of a, a problem with the amounts that could accrue up of um, money that employees were entitled to but hadn't been paid. The, the last part of the government policy, which is um, uh, announced but not yet to be um, not yet implemented, is how this information as well is then shared across um, with Services Australia, the old Department of, of Human Services, uh, around so other entitlements that are based on on your income, so whether it be sort of childcare rebates um, or some sort of income supplement, uh, are actually able to be calculated based on current information rather than being estimated on what you earned last year or, or you needing to provide um, up-to-date income uh, income amounts. Because, of course, when you lodge a tax return, you don't have to do it when you're doing it through a tax agent until the following May. So you're talking about literally a 10-month lag, which is being removed because the real-time data is coming from the employers every single pay event. That's right. Yep, yep. So it all comes comes through. And the the employees and, and the employers... Um, and, and their tax and VAS agents can log on to our systems and see that information, you know, basically in real time. The, the, the day after that information is submitted to the ATO, the, the employer and the employees can see, you know, running across the year how much they've been paid, how much tax has been being withheld. It's almost a, 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 a progressively, you know, the old payment summary type information. Uh, they can see that in pretty well real time. So there, there is a bit as well around overall um, providing that level of of transparency. Um, and there is there's something particularly from the superannuation side of things it is so that um, the people in the community you know, can be more in touch with with their superannuation, understand um, where they're where they're at, um, and, and if needs be, um, things that haven't been paid, you know, have a conversation with their employer. Whereas previously, um, we would get eighteen months down the track, you know, sort of um, complaints from employees who had then realised that their super wasn't being paid on time. And so is this one of the ways you're catching businesses out who are not paying super on time or, or not paying super at all and you haven't got that time lag? Is that one of the problems you're trying to solve with this strategy? Yeah, absolutely. And from an employer's point of view, um, it also means we are getting on top, can get on top of things before they really escalate to being really big problems. Now, you know, we, we know at different times small businesses um, – can have cash flow issues, you know, there might be, you know, a big invoice that doesn't get paid that creates some issues. And at times, you know, it's not always people come come to us to explain those, those, those sort of situations. The issue, as you mentioned before, superannuation is a little bit different to sort of normal tax. In that superannuation, it, 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 it's not the government's money. It, it, it's money the employees are entitled to. So um, there is sort of under the law, there, there, there's some more obligations uh, and less flexibility for the ATO um, around around that, which is why I think it is it's important and overall it's a good outcome for businesses that might be struggling that if we're able to to see what's happening, get in touch with them, start having that conversation, even if it is an uncomfortable conversation around money being owed, but doing it maybe while it's in, you know, the hundreds or a thousand dollars than necessarily when it gets to sort of the tens of thousands, which for a small business can be a, a really difficult thing to, to, to then work through. 
So as you mentioned, this this can come as a result of cash flow. Let, let me give you a sort of a real life example. If uh, Well, not a real life, it's actually just popped into my head. But let's say I'm a business who's struggling. I've got some, uh, let's say, corporate clients who have this wonderful end of a month plus three month policy for payment terms. That's a completely different conversation we'll have with someone else, not the ATO who's responsible for it. But let's talk about someone who's experiencing a real cash flow crisis. They owe money to suppliers. They owe money to the ATO in terms of their BAS and they owe money to their employees and their employees super. They go to the ATO, they ring them up and they say, look, I'm experiencing a lot of difficulty, but it's just a cash flow issue. I'm just waiting for this invoice to be paid. What's your priority when you give instructions to that person as to what they have to pay first? And what do you have the same softly, softly approach to say someone who's experiencing loss because of a natural disaster than you would with someone who's just got a cash flow crisis? How does that conversation work? So, so two parts to that question, I think, Alexi. One, around what order in which to pay things would suggest that paying those employee entitlements first um, is, is definitely the way to go. As I said, the law does work differently around super guarantee payments and there is less flexibility for the ATO around some of the, the interest and the charges and... and um, you know the consequences of that. So, would suggest to pay, pay that that um, first. The other part is either, yep, talk talk to talk to the ATO. A lot of it is based on um, the conversation as well. What what's been been your history? If you're a small business that has, we can see, ha- has lodged and paid on time consistently, then you are going to get a, a very fair hearing from us and particularly if you can then say look I can pay this part you know I can pay the super guarantee but I need in a couple more months for the, the, the income tax instalment and the GST um, we can we can work through through that with you the other thing is um, your your tax agent or your BAS agent um, particularly if you're in that situation of you, you haven't you've got a really good history with us um, they can jump online and they can get in place a payment arrangement with us in most circumstances. If it's up to $100,000, um, they can do that online and put that in place without even needing to make a phone call these days through our online services. So where, where you've got that, that, that good history um, with us, you get rewarded for it in, in being able to, to work through that if you need a couple more months or, or, or that sort of thing. You know, Depending on the circumstances, if this if this has sort of been the, the the seventh or eighth time in two years that this has happened, and you haven't actually previous payment arrangements, um, you haven't kept up with, um, it might be a different conversation. Um, it's really based on on your circumstances, but definitely that thing where you've got yeah that large invoice. It's been you know it's created a bit of a cash flow crisis for you. It's not something you know you've got a, a record showing a you know a really a good track record um, of meeting your, your obligations. Um, yes, we, we, we'll work with you around how how we can give you a bit of extra time. To, to work through that and where the opportunities are to, to maybe, you know, pay those obligations, your you ones to your employees that have less flexibility around it. That also shows goodwill from, from our point of view, you know, that you're genuinely committed to, to paying these bills if you're, if you're paying some or all of them um, as soon as you can. And Andrew, could I also ask you, because a lot of small businesses struggle with the concept of understanding the different types of debt that, that they have with the ATO, whether it be GST, um, which is obviously the net result of what you earn versus what you have to pay, and then, uh, sorry, what you earn versus what you've, you've claimed back. And then you've got the pay-as-you-go instalment, which is your income tax, and then you've got your super obligations. Is, is there a way that when you ring up and you're in this circumstance of the example I gave, where the ATO can kind of bundle it all up into one thing and then you can pay that off in instalments? Or do you still, in your own mind, have to think of it as different debts that need to be worked through? No, generally it will get bundled up into into um, uh, the one amount and, and, and one, arrange, one arrangement um, is the way we um, prefer it uh, to, to be done. As said, the, 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 the superannuation payments are probably the one, just the aspect that works a bit um, differently under 
the law and does sit a little bit separate. But when you're talking around the income tax instalments um, and the GST, no, that would be treated as, as, as one. We actually had um, uh, some significant work over the Christmas break where we brought together our accounting systems for uh, GST and for income tax, um, which now streamlines that process even further uh, around it being a truly sort of integrated account that you have with us. And we just look at it so that, yep, you'd get into an arrangement, you'd make the one payment um, over you know, each month or, or whatever has been negotiated. So one of the uh, things you want to... So one of the things you really want to think through is when you've got this debt and it's accumulating is, I guess in in our own minds, we should separate that out first as employee entitlements and super as one thing and then whatever the tax office looks after as another thing. And I guess this is where a BAS agent and a tax agent can really help you understand um, how this how this all works. But I mean, what you've said there really simplifies it. There is what you owe your employees, which you have to think of as your super, and there is what you owe to the tax office. Yep, absolutely, Alexi. So let's talk about another uh, strategy that is coming. Um, Not to say that it's going to be necessarily any sort of a compliance burden for small business, but can you explain to us the concept of e-invoicing and what this is going to mean in the next two or three years for business advisors and for um, small businesses in the community and and how they work with their invoicing systems, Andrew? Yep, so e-invoicing... well, it, it, what it's it's looking to do is remove the need for either paper-based or sort of PDF versions of, of paper-based invoices that get um, sent from business to business. E-invoicing is, um, sits within your accounting software, the accounting software of a small business, and enables invoices to be sent directly from um, software to software. So, so what that means in reality is the business preparing the invoice, someone, someone will prepare that and key that. When it gets sent, um, it goes straight into the software. So there isn't a need for a person at the other end either to receive the paper and key it in or to get a PDF and key it in. And it doesn't matter what software the two companies use. It's, it's, a, it's a standard that's now been agreed to and, and is progressively being introduced um, across all the major accounting software companies. So some of your listeners will be, um, without going down too many brands, but you know, with, if you're sending from you know, MYOB software to MYOB software, it, it's a pretty seamless experience or zero to zero. This going forward invoicing, it doesn't matter what brand you've got, the software will understand the data coming through and automatically enter it into your your system. Why this is a good thing is that currently, um, we've had some research, a a paper-based invoice costs about $27 for a small business to process. A a PDF emailed in costs over $20 to process. An e-invoice costs about $8. Pardon my ignorance, what what do you mean by it costs $27 to produce? time taken to actually to to get that invoice to um, uh, enter the details into into your system um, to actually then then process and get ready for payment um, that time has been costed out at, at, at about twenty seven dollars um, PDFs are a little bit cheaper but but one of the biggest savings as well um, there's some research. Um, behind this that showed that one out of five invoices that are paid late is because the invoice has gone to the wrong place in the business. So it's either the wrong physical address or it's gone to the wrong email address or the person who it's gone to no longer does that job and has been, you know, hasn't been passed on quick enough. Uh, another one in five is because there's been incorrect data on the, the invoice. So we're really seeing, apart from the, the processing savings, having the invoices with better quality data that's, that goes to the right place within the software, we'll also see um, quicker payment as some of the, the, the avoidable errors in why businesses get paid late um, start to get removed. I, I'm just a bit curious here. Um, this all sounds like a software 
uh, re- not requirement, I'm not going to say requirement, but um, obviously I think small businesses get the fact that when they get digital, it's more efficient. They streamline their processes. They get paid faster. We've got all that. We understand all that. W- what has this got to do with the ATO? Um, so the ATO government has asked the ATO, given we've got a, a history of working with software providers, um, particularly the, the large software providers around the software tax agencies to lodge um, activity statements, to lodge um, income tax returns, and then the work we've done as well through single touch payroll. So with the ATO, government's asked us to um, uh, be the the what's called the authority for the international standard on e-invoicing. So this is not just an Australia initiative. Australia and New Zealand are implementing this at the same time, but it's following a standard that's um, used by most European countries. Um, so we've, we're that authority as government. We've been working with um, the, the Australian Software Business Industry Association who have been um, driving this um, predominantly um, and we're looking now as part of whole of, whole of government, uh, government separately, Department of, of um, Finance announced um, from 1 January this year as government departments become enabled to receive e-invoices, any, any invoice received up to a million dollars will be paid within five days. Can you, can, um, can, can you <laughs> um, I'm sorry, I'm just a little bit incredulous on that. So any invoice up to a million dollars that's paid to federal government or any government agency? Fed, fed, federal government will be paid within five days if it's, if it's sent to, to government by any invoice. And do you think the, the federal government obviously is doing this to encourage other government agencies? I know other local government agencies obviously have, have made this a priority with paying small businesses rather quickly. But do you think government's trying to lead from the front with this when it comes to corporate Australia and get those payment times down? Is this one of the reasons this strategy is in place? Um, it, it, it's overall around um, almost getting, getting the, the money paid paid quicker and circulating um quicker as well as the productivity savings. Um, the, the, the New South Wales State Government is, is on board um, with this and they, from 1 January as well, have, have uh, one of the first, um, first state government agencies to put in place um, similar arrangements around e-invoicing. Government is, is sort of leading the way in, in mandating. Um, it's, at this stage, there, there's no government policy um, around um, mandating its usage for any other sectors. Um, at the moment, you know, you mentioned before, Alexi, that there's plenty of commentary um, in the media around payment terms in, in general. Um, you know, e-invoicing e- e- is a possible solution that makes it makes it easier um, and takes away some of the, you know, the, the potential lag in, in payment. And we should also, we should, I just, I'll just interrupt you there and say we should also mention that it's not the ATO's legislative responsibility to be, impl- you, you are simply the administrators of this, right? We, yeah, we, we're the ones effectively, someone in government needs to hold the standard that the software companies need to work to so that it all, all talks together. The ATO doesn't see any of the information of the invoices. Um, the we're, we're, the, we're the standard holder so that the software can talk to each other and we're also from the point of view of um, working with other government um, agencies uh, including Department of Industry uh, which include now is the Department for Small Business um, around how we can encourage um, adoption, raise awareness of this um, but it, it's a lot of it as well is being driven by the, the software um, industry as well in the um, the benefits there. So the cynical amongst us might turn around and say, well, how does that help when I've got a multinational that still doesn't pay me after end of the month plus three months? But I suppose at least there's there's positive um, impact happening at a government level and then the trickle-down effect will, will eventually, hopefully, start to impact on corporate and we can start to see those payment terms come down. Andrew, I'm just going to move to the... Because we're running out of time, I want to have a chat to you about a really, really important change that's happening that's going to impact small businesses and the way we communicate and report 
report to the ATO. And that is, <laughs> and I did have a bit of a giggle on, um, on LinkedIn and on Twitter, how you had a, um, a Valentine's Day message that says, um, Ozkey, we need to have a chat where you are breaking up with Ozkey. That was rather amusing. So why the change? Why are you suddenly letting go of this piece of software that's been around uh, for a long time um, and moving to the MyGov ID system? Can you tell us the reason why and then a bit of the tr- practical practicalities around it? Yeah, I, I think, Alexi, you probably explained part of it when you said that um, OzKey has been around for a long time. So OzKey was developed um, at the time when most people accessed um, government services um, through through a PC, um, a PC that was kept sort of in a, an office. Um, and the OzKey is, is literally uh, a bit of software that's attached um, to that PC. What we've seen over time as well, um, some of those OzKeys in some offices, um, we've seen sticky notes on the PC with the, um, you know, the password and where an OzKey has been registered to a person, it's actually been accessed by, by lots and lots of people. Um, so we've been concerned that, that as the world's evolved, the, the security of knowing who is accessing government services ha- has gotten a lot blurrier with the way OzKeys have been used. The other big thing which we've we've had is that OzKey is not compatible with tablets, with mobile devices in general. It needs to be physically installed um, onto a drive on the machine. So therefore, it's only been usable with basically with PCs and and Macs and laptops. So it, it's it hasn't been contemporary in keeping up with how we see people use our website and how we see people want to use our our online services. The, the other the key factor then in the timeline was um, OzKey as a piece of technology um, was reaching its end of life in about a, a month's time. So hence we started about 18 months ago, um, started this transition uh, from OzKey to, to MyGovID. What, what, why is that important to your listeners? Well, if they lodge their own activity statements or if they use the small business super clearinghouse, um, whether they directly understand it or not, they're probably using an OzKey to get into the business portal of the ATO and to get into the super clearinghouse. So that's going to change from the end of March. MyGovID is a identity credential that is registered to you as a person. So it relies on, on verifying your personal identity. And then that, then that gets linked to the business that you're authorised to interact upon. So it provides greater security um, from government point of view of knowing who's interacting with our services. It, it provides um, provide greater visibility overall for businesses around who in the business is accessing and doing things on behalf of the uh, the business. But it'll also enable um, where those business people um, want to to be able to then access government services. Uh, on on any device rather than it just being, as is often the case, on the computer that's in the physical office. So could I ask you with um, that higher, I'm assuming there's now a higher level of security when communicating with the ATO, does that mean there's some sort of a two-step authenticator enabled and you have to have uh, an ID login plus an actual phone or device, something that gives you a a second step to log in? Is that where the higher level of security comes from? It, it is. It is. There's, there's a, code, a code generated. So between, and for most people, it'll be on a, on a, um, a mobile phone is where they'll have their MyGov ID. And then when they go to, um, to log in to either an ATO digital service or another government department digital service, yes, there is a code generated. So you've got that two-factor authentication um, around... Uh, not just a, a user ID and password okay. authentication. So you've got your user ID and password, which happens on the computer. I'm just trying to be quite practical with this. And then you have to have a MyGov ID app installed in another device, and that's what's generating the code. Am I correct? Uh, yeah, whether it's on another device or the, or the, or the same device, but, but on a device that you have registered um, with us, with your identity, so we know it's your device, uh, you need that with the, for the code. Um, to be able to then access the government service. It, it could be on the same device or more generally, 
the, the MyGov ID will be on a mobile phone and then whether you're logging in on a tablet or a PC, um, uh, you'll then, you know, use that code to as that second step of authentication. And with people who have been using the OzKey, there's been a nice big red flashy warning that's coming up that's telling them that that's coming to its end of life. How hard and fast is that March deadline? Is that like, forget it, it's going to be switched off, you've got no choice? Or are we going to see a situation where the deadline gets extended and extended and extended for various reasons? Is this a hard and fast one? It's a hard and fast one. Um, As I said before, it it reaches its end of life and we have not. um, That was the decision about 18 months ago. Um, Were we going to need to invest a large amount of money to keep OzKey going for another 12 months? Um, or was the investment in transition, spending that 18 months in transitioning um, across to to MyGovID and the relationship authentication manager? So that, that that's a hard date, 27th of March, which is why particularly um, if you're going into, um, as we're talking now, it's getting near that December quarterly uh, due date um, for activity statements. Um, it's really important that that you know if you lodge activity statements quarterly through our business portal, this will be the last one you'll be able to do with an Auskey. So it's a great time now to, as you're going in for doing that, to, to set up a MyGov ID, you know, get that working, so that when you come in again in April to do your next quarterly activity statement, you're all ready to go. And so unlike the OzKey, which requires numerous Java updates at the most inopportune moments, once you've authentic or once you've identified yourself with MyGov and you've got it set up, can I safely presume that that's it? That's the last time you're going to have to go through that process? It's just a once only? Correct. So it, 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 it's, it's browser agnostic. It's, it's not tied in with some of those um, older technologies like, like, like Java that doesn't have the issues that we've got around, um, you know, the number of, of different, sorry, limitations on what browsers um, you can use. It, it creates the authenticated, the authenticated session. Um, and then, yep, yeah, as I said, any, any, any device, any browser, um, you, you'll, you'll be able to work with. So it's, it's a lot more flexible um, in the ways that you want to work, um, you're getting in, in there, where just the way, again, the technology of when OzKey was developed 10 or so years ago um, was, was based on a much different technological world. And what happens if I am a business owner who has, and, and this is quite common, obviously, lots of businesses that I have to lodge um, BASs for, the MyGov ID, is that unique to me and then I kind of toggle between the businesses? How does it work in comparison with, um, say, what, what we're used to seeing at the moment with the OzKeg? It absolutely. It, it's The MyGov ID is for you, the person. So if it's um, Alexi Boyd's MyGov ID, it, you, you can be linked through the, the Relationship Authentication Manager to um, multiple businesses. So this is the RAM. Are, this is the RAM you were talking about. This, this, this is the RAM. So that that can link that together. So what that creates is the relationship between your personal identity and any number of businesses. And each of those businesses, it might be in a different role. So it may be that you're, you know, you're, you're the, the the principal um, of a couple of businesses, but there might be another business that you. That someone else owns, but you do you you work do some work with them, and they can authorise you to be able to um, operate on behalf of that business as well. Um, so it's the one it's it's the one identity for you, which can be linked to multiple businesses. Okay, so th- that makes sense. It's more about you identifying yourself. It's kind of like what we have to do with Service New South Wales. Once you've set yourself up and you're organised and you're in there and you've kind of done your million points ID check, then you're in and then you can toggle between what your roles and responsibilities are between different businesses. So it's almost like 
if you're a business owner who has multiple businesses, you're still able to report. You're still able to give that data. Nothing, does anything change with the interface itself? We're still, we're not going to suddenly see a different way of doing things. Is that all remain the same? No, no, no. This is all, this is all, this is all about how you get into the, into the system. So it's, how, it, it's so when you need to do an activity statement, how, how do you get into the ATO system? If, if you're lodging that activity statement yourself through our business portal, um, similarly around if you use our small business super clearing house, it's about how you get in there. Yeah. Once you're one, once you're in, you've you've you, you've you've you know we know it's you. We know you're authorised to act on behalf of that business. It's then the same experience there. Okay, that makes sense. So don't panic. It's just about the login screen. <laughs> it is. It, 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 it is. Um, if people do, there's plenty of information, ato.gov.au slash mygovid for people to work through. As they work it through, then if they do have, have issues either with the mygovid or linking through RAM, lots of information there. Or again, through this transition period, we've got a dedicated number, 1300 287 539 where people can get, get help if they uh, hit a roadblock through it. We're finding lots of people are finding it fairly straightforward. Um, but across, we've got over half a million small businesses that use our, our business portal. Um, we also know that there's, there's some, some small businesses are, are quite different and unique, uh, and there might be some circumstances and some businesses that need, need a bit of extra help. If they do, give, give us a call. But if you actually look at some of the, the material on the website, a um, couple of the, the, the short videos of how to, how to set it up, we're finding a lot of people are finding it a really, a really quick process to get up and running. Well, that's good news. Um, look, that brings us to the top of the hour and I'd like to thank you very much for sharing with us all of your strategic updates and more importantly, the reasons behind why these are in place. They're not just there to create extra um, tape for us to trip over as businesses, but they're actually there with a reason and an, an, an end result in mind. And it is, I guess, for the greater good. Um, how can people find out more in general about all the things we've talked about today, Andrew? Um, look, if they if you go to the ATO website um, under small business, there is plenty of information there. Some of those topics we did with the keywords, I, I even use that myself. If you go into Google ATO and then type MyGovID or ATO single touch payroll, it'll generally take you to 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 the right the right spot. Just one thing I would. Um, like to leave your listeners with Alexi. There's been there is a lot of change, and as you've said, there's a lot of things happening with small business. Something else that we do um, do understand, particularly with the bushfires, running a small business can be stressful. So the other thing, amongst all those options that have said for help, there's also if you, um, ato.gov.au slash small business support um, does have a range of things of how um, we'll help, particularly small businesses that might be be finding things a bit stress, stressful or have, having some mental health issues, it's another factor that's a little more less visible than bushfires, but one that's equally important and where we, we genuinely want to help people um, get through difficult times. That's fantastic. Um, Andrew, thank you very much for joining us and sharing us all those views and, of course, where we can get help from the ATO. If you've missed any of today's program, you can, of course, catch up via the, a uh, by, by, by the ATO. You can catch up there too. Catch up via smallbizmatters.com.au where you can listen to up to 150 podcasts just like this one. Lots of great ATO podcasts as well, I might add, and also on iTunes. If you've heard today's uh, program on iTunes, you can give us a little rating. That will help us a lot. And of course, uh, listen tomorrow, uh, sorry, next week to another great program where we've got another great guest sharing us, with us their knowledge. If there's something we haven't covered on Small Biz Matters, please let us know. Uh, we might be interested in having you on as a guest or we can find a guest of interest that will cover that area of expertise for you. Thank you so much for listening to Small Biz Matters this week. My name is Alexi Boyd and we'll see you all next week on Triple H 100.1 FM.